our uh, scripture text will be in the 53rd and the 43rd chapter of Genesis. Before I read that uh, 43rd, uh, begin reading there in those verses of scripture, I want to read a passage in Isaiah that's familiar to many of you. Listen carefully. Do you not know, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. I want to talk tonight about what happens when we wait on God. There are some scenes that defy description in human life. You just kind of have to be there to enter into them to really understand what's going on in the, in the dynamic of that moment that, that that particular thing is happening. Not in your wildest imagination can you imagine what some experiences are like that you have seen just they're just, they just defy description. And some of the most thrilling things that you have ever seen um, are, are perhaps the most thrilling thing you have ever seen is a family reunited after having been separated for a long time. Uh, in the, in the mid-70s, I traveled thousands of miles, and so I spent days and weeks in, in uh, uh, airports across uh, America. And uh, I tell you, it's incredible sometimes to just to step off of a plane or be sitting in a terminal and watch as people come together. Uh, maybe a soldier dressed in uniform gets off a plane, walks into this terminal, and there's this marvelous thing that takes place as his family joins him again. It's a, it's a thrilling thing. Um, a few years ago, or a number of years ago, when the Iron Curtain was stretched across Germany, many families were separated from uh, each other. And we will never forget those still shots that we'd get in the newspaper or, or in magazines, Life magazine, of families that would defy a danger and, and, and slip out of the Iron Curtain country to be reunited with their families. And it was a, it was a, it was a thing to watch, to, to see. And who is there among us tonight who can forget that scene we watched and saw on television, 1973, in Clark Air Force Base in the Philippine Islands when those men were released from Vietnam prison camps. And the, and the ranking officer, naval officer, in that group of first prisoners released was named Jeremiah Denton. He stood there that day to say, we are honored for the, uh, for the privilege of having served our country. And he said, we are immensely grateful to the, our commander-in-chief 
for the privilege of this day. Then he choked back emotion and said, God bless America, and then fell into the arms of his family. Oh man, is, you, you can't see that and not just feel that same emotion, but, but just think a thousand times what you felt, these folks felt. There's something moving about a family that's brought together after some tragedy or calamity has separated them. And the longer the separation, the longer the time of separation, the sweeter the reunion. And so we're going to feel, we can feel that emotion tonight in the 43rd chapter, one of the most thrilling chapters in all the Bible. We can feel the emotion of these of this man, Joseph, as he's reunited almost with his brothers. Eleven of them are there. And, uh, and he's almost, there's almost the reunion, but he doesn't uh, uh, disclose his identity. He doesn't reveal that he's their brother. You know the story. That was concealed from them after having been separated from them for years. And their father is not there. They're almost, they're almost together again, but not quite. Let me give you the details of the context of this. When they went to Egypt, did these brothers, to get food in the drought, in the famine, they, they, they found this prime minister there. They didn't know it, but he was their brother Joseph. They had sold into slavery years before. And his identity is concealed from them. And so he wants to see his, his blood brother, their other brother, Benjamin. And so he devises this plot. He said, you fellows are spies. They said, we're not spies. Prove it, he said. You go back and get your brother Benjamin and bring him to us. And I'll just keep one of you here. And kept Simeon in prison until they got back to prove they weren't spies. When they got back to their father, because he was a negative person and feared the worst, he didn't want them to go back. But after their grain ran out, the food they'd brought back with them, they began to starve again. And so he sent them back uh, with this gift, with this money and the prized possession. We're going to pick up with it in verse 15. Their prized possession, that was Benjamin. You can see these brothers as they make their way back to Egypt and there's apprehension on their faces. They don't know whether they're going to ever see the light of day again. They know what it's going to be like when they stand before this angry governor, this angry official uh, un, un, unknown to them. They don't know what's going to happen to them because guilt had done a number on them. Uh, down there in Egypt, for, uh, down there in Canaan for these long years, uh, guilt had been doing a number on them and they were just fearful and insecure to begin with. And, uh, and, and so you can just see the dynamic of the waiting period, how that during this waiting period, God brings these people to repentance and to rest. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, run, not get tired, walk and not grow weary. In this waiting period, God is bringing them to repentance and to rest. So follow me with me as I read verse 16 and following. When Joseph saw Benjamin, now he sees them, he sees them coming a great distance away. Benjamin, he hasn't seen for years. Uh, he, Joseph, was 17 
when, when he was sold into slavery, now he's about 40. Benjamin is his little brother, blood brother. Their, their, their mother died when she gave birth to Benjamin and he hadn't seen him since he, was, since he was a small child. Now he sees him coming at a distance. And Joseph deals and handles all this matter through his chief butler, the steward. Now watch, he says, when Joseph saw Benjamin, he said to his house steward, bring the men into the house and slay an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. I'm going to give them a big banquet for these Canaanites. So the man did just as Joseph said and brought the men to Joseph's house. Now, wouldn't it be interesting if we could read that butler's mind? I was looking through this and I got to thinking, I wonder what this guy was thinking when here's Joseph telling him, I want you to prepare a banquet for these Canaanites. And, and, and he must have thought this, what in the world is this guy doing this for? You know, I mean, here are these guys, these Canaanites, that he's accused of being spies, and they haven't even had a chance to prove they're not spies. He's going to have this big banquet for them. That guy does the strangest thing. Sometimes the, the, the working of God seems mighty strange to us, doesn't it? So the man, but the man did just as Joseph said and brought the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house and they began to reason. They said, it's because of the money that was returned into our sacks the first time that we are brought in. Um, they, they, you remember that, you know, they, they stopped on the, on the way back to to uh, feed their animals, their donkeys, and found this money in their sacks. Now they start reasoning. We're going, something terrible is going to happen. We're brought to this man's house who's accused us of being spies, and it's because of the money. It's because of the money in the sacks. It's all a plot. He's going to, uh, he's, he's, he's going to accuse us of stealing. All of this going on in their minds. So they came near to Joseph's house, and spoke to the steward. Shakespeare said, Suspicion always haunts the guilty mind. One day I went to the, um, I went out and got my mail out in the hall, and there was a letter in there, in one of these anonymous letters. I opened this letter up, and this is what it said I, I've been a Christian for 55 years, but I've done a few things that I'm ashamed of. During the Depression in the 1930s, I babysat for a, a family named Sweeney who lived on North Forth. I took from their garage a small table lamp with no shade. Uh, it just intrigues me that she describes this. I took a small lamp from the garage, had no shade. Later, I got a shade for it, and I used it for a little while, but I did not enjoy it because I knew it was stolen. I have been unable to find this Sweeney family, so I'm sending you this $10 to put in your benevolent fund. 
I have always been concerned about the needy. Years ago, I gave that lamp to a needy family. May God bless your church. And when I read that, I'm honest with you, I, I nearly cried because for 50 years, over 50 years, this, this person suffered the anguish of a guilty conscience. <laughs> it's exactly what these boys did. Now, look how guilt comes out. You ever notice that, how it comes out? Look, look what it says. They came to Joseph's house and they're just, they, they begin to talk nonstop. Look at them. It says, and they spoke to him at the entrance of the house and said, O Lord, O my Lord, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. And it came about when we came to the lodging place that we opened our sacks, and behold, each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full. So we, knew who, we, we know who put the money uh, in, our, in our sacks. And, and, and he said, let's see, let me back up. So we have brought it back in our hand. We have also brought down other money in our hand to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. And they're just talking nonstop, just giving this big confessional, you know. You ever notice how guilt comes out? It makes you talk more than, than you normally do. <laughs> it makes you say, you know, kind of spill the beans, so to speak. It makes you talk to people who can't do anything about it. I mean, what could this butler do about it? They're just confessing to him like he had this gigantic confessional booth. Why? Because during all this time, these men had, be, had begun to repent they, they, they'd even spoken early of, the, of seeing the face of Joseph and how it had haunted them. And down there in that country, separated uh, from their brother, thinking he was dead, they were just dealing with their guilt. I love this man's response. Look at verse 23. And he said, Shalom. It's the exact word that the Hebrew word, Hebrews use. Now this guy was an Egyptian bilingual. But when he spoke to them, he spoke to them in Hebrew. He said, Shalom. That is, be at peace. Do not be afraid. I mean, just settle down, guys. Just be at peace. Be calm. Be cool. Watch. Your God and the God of your Father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. He said, fellows, be at peace. And he began to witness to them about God. Now it seems strange to me that, that here is a, a man from a totally different culture and different religion witnessed unto these people about God. It's the first time that anybody has ever um, associated or related the abundance of money to the hand of God. Isn't it a tragedy? That, that, that this is the very first time that, that anybody has related this abundance of money to the hand of God. Jo Jacob didn't. The, the patriarch. N none of those brothers did. Why is it that there has to be some pagan to remind us of the hand of God? 
You ever been witnessed to by a man of the world? You ever had somebody say to you, well, hey, isn't it true that you have faith in your God? Don't you believe in, I've heard you talk about God. Isn't it a tragedy that some of the best witnessing that goes on, goes on from somebody from the world? Now in comes Joseph. Follow me in verse 26. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present which was Am I in the right place? Yes. Which was in their hand and bowed to the ground before him. Then, then he asked them about their welfare and said, Is your father, is your old father well of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed down in homage, in homage. Now, without trying to be melodramatic, just imagine what this next scene is like. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. He said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, May God be gracious to you, my son. And Joseph hurried out for he was deeply stirred. That, that word means his, his inside, his spirit, his heart nearly broke. And he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Now my mind goes back tonight to the number of times that I've read in God's Word of strong men with that kind of emotion. I remember reading about David up in his chamber, up in his tower, and he'd just gotten a report that Absalom, that gorgeous young man, his son, had been murdered. And he wept and cried so loud they heard him all over the, the palace. Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, I would to God I died for thee. Now, if you've never had a son that's been murdered, you can't enter into that trauma, that experience. I remember reading about Job who'd lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his possessions. He lost his health. He lost everything but his wife. And she turned on him and on God. He said, Naked was I, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord until you've lost your family and your health and your possessions. You can't enter into that. If you've got your Bible, I want to show you one of the most moving scenes in all of Scripture. It's found in the 11th chapter of Numbers. The 11th chapter of Numbers, verse 10, beginning at verse 10. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man in the doorway of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why hast thou been so hard on thy servant? And why have I not found favor in thy sight, 
that thou hast laid the burden of all this people on me. Was it I who conceived all this people? I didn't give these folks birth. Was it I who brought them forth that thou shouldst say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which thou didst swear to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all this people, because it's too burdensome for me. So if thou art going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once, if I found favor in thy sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. You know, just because a man is a strong man doesn't mean that emotion is removed from him. I heard somewhere about a man, I read about him, who, who missed his little boy. His little boy is about four years old. He couldn't find him. He went out looking for him, searching, the neighbors searching, and they found him in the bottom of a swimming pool three doors down. And that man went through all of the grieving process. There was anger. There was uh, bitterness. There was resentment. There was deep uh, hurt and guilt. He felt he'd neglect his son. And after he buried his boy, he got in his car. He said, I drove the freeways. I drove the streets. And I drove and drove until I just couldn't stand it any longer. He said, I remember pulling up in the driveway of my house. I, I decided that I was going to take my life. I couldn't endure that pain. And he said, some voice spoke to my heart and said, I can take care of that. God said, I can handle that. And he said, there in the door in the driveway of my house, I gave it to God. And you know, the marvelous thing is that God won't tell on you when you, when you cry out to him like these men. I mean, he's not going to say, look out across the congregation of this, this church and say, you know, last Thursday night, old so-and-so said this to me, cried out to me. He's not going to tell on you. He's going to let you pour out your heart to Him. Isn't it great that all that we have said to God and all we have felt toward God is not in some book for some preacher to dwell on? Isn't it great that, that a man can go into a chamber and weep like Joseph and God understands that emotion? Now, when he got control of himself, he washed his face, and he came in. Now he's in control. He says, serve the meal. So they served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. Here are the brothers over here, these Hebrews. And they ate over here at uh, this table, and the Egyptians are eating over there. 
because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is loathsome to the Egyptians, to say the least. Now they were seated before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in astonishment. Can you just see them just looking at each other? They deserve to be cast in the, in the pit. And they're ban- in this banquet and they're just looking at each other. Saying, what, in, what in the world? And he took portions to them from his own table. But, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. I mean, he got five steaks and, and five strawberry shortcakes and, and, uh, and uh, lemon ice box pie and all that. So, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. So they feasted and they drank freely with him. Now, what is all, where, where, does this, where is all this going? I want, to, I want to show you, and I'll wrap it up. I want you to look back to Isaiah, and I want you to look at chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30. Everybody turns to that, and we'll check it out. Going to begin reading verse 1, and then we'll skip to verse 15. You got it? Isaiah 30. Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan but not mine. Woe to the people that go there, do their own thing, live their own way, live their own life, execute a plan that's not mine. Woe to them. And make an alliance but not of my spirit in order to add to sin. Skip to verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in repentance and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you're not willing. You're rebellious. You you want to do it your way. You, You want to execute your plan. You're rebellious in, in repentance and rest you find strength. But you've got to do it your way. And you said, no, for we will flee on horses. We'll just run from God. See, God's calling you to preach, but you're running. God's calling you to this lifestyle, but you're doing it your way. You're running from God. You're running from His will. You say, no, I'll just flee on horses. You'll ride on swift horses. Those, therefore, those who pursue, pursue you shall be swift. One thousand shall flee at the threat of one man. You shall flee at the threat of five until you're left as a flag. Really, it's a naked pole. You're stripped of everything. Or you, you're just a pole on a mountaintop as a signal on a hill. And here's the clincher. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, He waits on high to have compassion on you. Just like Joseph He waited for 23 years, not to get revenge, but to be gracious. 
He waited for 23 years not to get back at his brothers for what they did to him. He waited for 23 years in order that he might lavish upon them his love, just like the Lord, just like the Lord. He's just waiting to be gracious to you. He's saying, if you'll just stop running, I'll be gracious to you. You, you, you want to do it your way and so you flee and, and on fast horses and you, and you get to where there's nothing left. You're stripped of everything. You're just a naked pole on a hill. And all God is doing is just waiting to be, for you to quit running so He can love you. Isn't that a beautiful thing? All He's doing is just waiting for you to stop rebelling so He can love you. And he says, for the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who, who, who long, and, and, the, and the Hebrew word is really wait for Him. Mm, wow, is that heavy. Here is Joseph. 23 years have kind of passed. There's his brothers. And he says to them, in essence, guys, I've been waiting 23 years to give you this. I just wonder tonight what God has for you if you just quit running. I remember when I felt God calling me to preach. I said, no way, butter, brother. I'm never going to do that. You think I want to pastor folks like those over in Durant, Oklahoma? No way. And I was going to, you know, I got on a fast horse and, 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 made, and, and made a getaway. I was getting out of there. And God in hot pursuit. And you know why he, was, he wanted me? So he could bless my life with you and with his will. That's all he wants to do. Now two applications and I'll quit. Waiting, first is this, waiting allows time for repentance. Waiting allows time for repentance. Now I can think of a lot of things that Joseph could have done. When he got on his feet down there, down there in Egypt, he could have gone right straight back to Canaan and taken care of those folks down there. He sure had it within his power to do it. But this waiting period, he allowed time for repentance. For you see, admission of guilt activates grace. All God is waiting. All God is. is all God asks of you is that that you admit that you're wrong. Second, waiting results in learning how to rest. Waiting results in learning how to rest. It is a beautiful story. Wow. I see your excitement. But I'm telling you what, it's one of the most thrilling stories, thrilling chapters I have ever seen. And the excitement, the joy of knowing that that, that what Joseph was, it was just a, 
It's just a, a glimpse of what the Lord is. In, in fact, it parallels his life and and to know that all the Lord is doing tonight is just waiting for us to repent so He can bless us. Would you bow your heads with me? We'll not have an invitation tonight. And so after this prayer, we'll be dismissed. Father, it sure is good to come and discover in your word these great truths. It's marvelous. It's incomprehensible how wonderful is the grace of God that waits patiently for us to repent so this loving God can lavish on us His love. Lord, I thank you for this lesson and for its impact upon our lives. And may it sink deeply into our mind and heart in the days that are before us. Because I pray in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. God bless you and good night.